Glad we could be out, glad we could be here today that can, glad that those are joining us online are joining us online, the thousands out there across the internet universe, I'm sure. Anyway, I'm glad that those who are joining us can join us today in that regard. It is a wonderful time to be alive, isn't it? We think about things going on and we see things like right now, uh, the pandemic that's been such a problem, and hopefully waning somewhat, and we hope for better days ahead in that regard. But we sometimes point out the worst of things. And if you read the news a lot, you read a lot of things that just really weigh on you and burden you a bit. And that, that can easily make life seem kind of fruitless, depressing. But I would rather choose to be optimistic and think that we've got a lot to live for. I believe we do live in the best of times. I think there are so many good things out there. We can talk about how bad a lot of people have become, but I think there are still, I believe, no, I don't just think, I know there are still a lot of wonderful people out there, and a lot are sitting right here in this room this morning. So I feel like we ought to count our blessings this day as we do any day. It's been an unusual time for me in particular, and today I want to talk a little bit more personally than I think I sometimes do in lessons like this. I call the lesson this morning a pastor. And when we get to the passage that we'll read in just a, a moment or two, I think you'll fully understand where we're going and what we're doing with this as you, if you don't already. Some time ago, the elders said something to me about when you retire, we hope will be soon. <laughs> no, that was just Bill a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, talked about the potential of maybe seeking the congregation's participation and, and maybe my becoming an elder in the congregation as I shift roles in a way. In recent days, we've seen some changes and some needs, and the elders asked me if I would consider being an elder at this point. And at first, I, didn't, I wasn't realizing what they were asking, I mean, in terms of the time frame, and yet I did recognize, you know, this is something that I really had not considered greatly in my life for any length of time. When I was a youngster growing up, my father always insisted that I would be a preacher. If he was alive today, how disappointed he'd be to find out how weak I've really become. But no, in seriousness, he, he was a driving force in what I've striven to do in this, and I was very blessed in my life in that regard. But from the time I went to school and made the determination what I was going to do with my adult life, I didn't really ever think much about the eldership or being an elder in the church. I just thought about what I was doing, and it was day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. And the years have flowed by, and many, many years have flown by. Family has come and gone. I've, I've preached more funerals than I would ever like to. I preach more weddings than I want to, too. No, weddings are a beautiful thing, but I've seen so many loved ones that I know come and go and pass. I've seen disruptions, and I've seen blessings. In my life, I believe I've been surrounded by some of the best people in the world. I found some of the greatest right here among us, and people that sometimes you don't even recognize how marvelous they really are, I think, uh, in the fullness. I say we don't always in the fullness of sense, but some of the very finest people I know sit in this room right here today, and some are no longer with us. But I'm just telling you that a lot of it has gone on 
in, in my life and years of, of preaching that I, I have done, and I, and I know it will continue to be in my life in the days ahead. This is not the end of that part of my life, not yet anyway. I know as age comes along, that's just the way things are. But being asked to do that and it being put before the congregation about three weeks ago, several people came to me and said they were not objecting, no, came to me and said how thankful they were that I'd be willing to do that. And I appreciate your encouragement and I covet your prayers in the days ahead. Because I do want to be a good elder for the congregation. I want to be what you need me to be. So this morning I want to think about this just a little bit in that regard. And so maybe this is a little bit different than, than I normally would preach on a Sunday morning. But I want you to think about what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. In those first four verses in 1 Peter 5, when he challenges the elders and shepherds of the church, as he refers to them there, In 1 Peter 5, the first four verses read this way, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I think Peter's words are some of the most direct that any elder is going to ever find in the challenge that, bring, that is brought to the work that, is, that he allows himself to take on and that a congregation allows him to have within their work and looks to him to be. I think about this idea, and I use the word pastor, which is a Latin word, that is often used. But I go back more than 40 years, nearly about 43 or about 42 or 3 years ago, living in Minko, Oklahoma, was asked, as they often ask the preachers to do, to come to the football game and to offer an invocation at the football game. So I was called upon to offer an invocation at the football game. That's not a picture of the real football game, but that was as close as I could find, just put it up there. But I was called upon to, to offer the invocation, which is a prayer at the beginning of the football game. Now, I know many places are not doing that anymore, but that was still a part of the practice there to have one of the local preachers come to the, the announcing booth and there to offer an invocation. And it's always kind of an interesting thing. Lord bless us and keep us as we bang our heads together. But it's just the thought. Anyway, but we did that. And so as I went into the booth, and I was fairly new in town, and they didn't really know me very well and all, but they knew that the Church of Christ was kind of a unique group of people. And so as I stepped into the booth, and they said, we'll call upon you in just a minute and everything, and uh, the fellow that was going to be announcing me in my name said, said, now, uh, how do I introduce you? And I said, well, just call me by name. That's fine. Just Russ Dyer with the with the Minko Church of Christ, will be offering the invocation today. And I said, that's plenty, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. And so he got into it, and he was giving his rigmarole, and a little while uh, he's, he's, he said, okay, and today doing our invocation will be Russ Dyer, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, well, the pastor for the Church of Christ. And, all, and I thought, well, I'm not going to go any further with that and everything. But that's, that's what I, he said, and we went through that. 
But it reminds me that through the years, and long before my years, even through the years, we have tried to carefully draw lines to speak Bible things and Bible names and so forth and so on. Through the years, we've tried to carefully draw those lines between the elder, or commonly we think of as the the bishops, the shepherds, the pastors of a congregation. We've tried to draw the lines between that and a preacher or a minister within a congregation. There's good reason to do so and to understand that and and make it clear. But at the same time, At the same time, I fear we may have done some damage uh, to the context of what they are supposed to be and what they are to do, and as if they are antagonists. And after last Sunday, I started calling my preacher friends, talked to several of them in the past week, and I said, now that I'm an elder in the church, I don't like you anymore, because elders and preachers are not supposed to like each other. In fact... Uh, Horace said, I can't make fun of the elders anymore. I thought, well, if you're, not, if you're among them, why can't you make fun of them? That's the way it goes. But seriously, seriously, we've tried to draw lines and to do things, and we've done so with, with good intent. Our thoughts forced a separation, I fear, that was not so necessarily clearly needed as much as we have made it. As a preacher, I know the work that goes into being a preacher as well as any man. And preachers do a lot of pastoring, a lot of shepherding. That is feeding, teaching, instructing, guiding, encouraging people, being with them when they're down, sometimes when they're up, praying with them, holding their hands along the way. I've done a lot of that over the years with people, sometimes not as much as I needed to do. Sometimes fallen short in some of the areas I needed to do, but there was a general effort to do that. We have seen our preachers in the church to feed and take care of people. So, as someone who has spent my adult life in the service, in the service of the, the church, pastoring has always been a part of what I've done. That is the Latin word for shepherding has always been a part of what I've done. Still, even a simple study of the church in the New Testament recognizes a distinction. There is something of a recognition because there are qualities and responsibilities that Paul gives to Timothy and Titus in clarity that these responsibilities and these qualities are absolutely necessary for a man to serve in that role as an elder in the church. And they are somewhat challenging, much like they would be expected of any men and any fathers and any Christians anywhere, but yet to be at an observable level by those who are around them, so much so that the congregations appreciate them in that regard. What I'm saying is that there is still much overlapping and similarity between the roles, and they are a combined effort. I found myself engaging with elders through the years and been blessed to be a part of uh, their, their ideas and their thoughts and their leadership through the years. So perhaps there have been some justifying reasons for keeping the roles clearly distinct as they have been at times. But it is not an uncommon practice for us to see preachers who also serve as recognizable elders and serve in both capacities and congregations. So I I give this to you with this thought. On a personal, personal level, 
I find myself more in the latter portion of the, of the preaching life that I will have. More in the latter part. There is far more behind me than in front of me. No matter what anybody might say, I recognize that and I recognize it clearly. But still with love for the church and especially for this congregation and the years that we have shared together and I hope we'll share together to come, whatever the Lord sees fit, I will endeavor to do both in that regard. So I, I lay that before you. So let me offer to you a few thoughts. As Peter says to the elders who are among you, he's writing a note to the elders and he says, and I'm one of you, I'm one of you, to the elders who are among you. And so we associate names, and, and in the past I've shared with you some thoughts of where did we get this idea of elders, and how did it come to be what it is, and you can go back in Israelite history and ancient history, and you can find what the elders were within communities, and we begin to get an idea in regard to this. But there were names associated and works associated with men who were to be the leading challenging, teaching, instructing examples within a congregation. Here, he uses a couple of them. He uses the term elders, intended to be men of some maturity, development, and growth. Presbyters, they are somewhat overseers in that regard, or bishops and overseers in the regard of the congregation, to make sure it functions, to make sure it operates as it should, to make sure people are doing what they're supposed to do, to make sure preachers teach what they are supposed to teach to people. They are also to be shepherds, feeders, who care about the people, whose hands are in the hands of the people, whose hearts are tied to the hearts of the people. They're the guides and instructors. They are the leaders in every respect. Much like a shepherd goes with his sheep and takes them to the fields and guards what they eat and what they do. Still, we use the common word pastor, as I said, is derived from a Latin word that carries with it the meaning of a shepherd. And I think that's probably the most prominent word that we'll find. The shepherds of a congregation are those who care about it, who see about it, in the very personal effort that it is within a congregation or a gathering of people. And some might ask, then, what is the work of an elder? Well, in many religious circles, church elders are no more than a board of directors. I think there are even congregations of the church that see that as their, many see that as their role. Yes, I understand that leaders in a congregation need to be decisive and directional in what they do. But also we find that they cannot be self-directional, nor can they be arbitrary. In other words, it cannot be just what they want it to be. It has to be what it needs to be by God's direction, and it's going to be faced by the people who are a part of that congregation and the needs that we find within them. If we combine the words used to identify the work of an elder, we arrive at a man who is knowledgeable, who has maturity, whose family and life practice show his love for God, show his love for the scriptures, for the church in general, and Christians individually. Because the primary work of an elder is going to be with the people. Yes, he must be affixed to the structures of the word, the instruction of God's word. But he must be flexible in how it is approached within the use of the people, because everyone's needs vary to some degree. The specifics is what I'm talking about, not the principle, not the, not the instruction of the Word, but the specific application and how it works within a person. The needs of congregations vary, and the needs of the individuals vary. 
and how he approaches those are going to use his judgment in using God's word within the confines that are found within. And so it is a work. But some see it as a position. It is a position. It is a place within the community. But it is not. It is not a position of elevation. It is not an elevation of special privilege or especially special note. But it is a designation of a recognizable service that people are calling on you to be that the Lord has left for us to be. The qualities listed in Paul's words to Timothy and to Titus tell us that there are abilities that must be brought to the table and they must be used and they must be exercised on a regular basis. As Kyle and I talk from time to time, I remind him and reminding myself at the same time, we are in the people business. Yes, we are about God's business, but we are in the people business. You might recognize that Jesus confronted his mother, Mary, when she found him, when she and Joseph found him in the temple, and she kind of chastised him a bit. He said, but didn't you know I would be about my father? About my father's business is the implication that is there. But you notice immediately he goes and he's submissive to them in what he does. Jesus knew he was about the people business. When he healed, when he touched, when he instructed, when he answered questions, he was about the people's business. This is not an office business. That is not around a table business. Yes, there's plenty of that to go around. But it is a people business. It is a position within the people. Notice what Peter says to those who are among you. Among you. The elders who are among you. And he talks about the people that are there. But let me add another thought to this. That it is, as Paul Paul states, a work of desire. It's not, as, as Peter points out, it's not something to be done because you're forced to do it. and It's not a chore to be accomplished and get done, so to speak. But it is about the life-driving force of desire. Your desire for people, your desire for the Word. Desire can be an alternate direction. And it can lead us towards sin and evil. As James points out, God doesn't tempt us to do evil. But we are drawn away of our own lusts or desires, the word is generally translated. And that leads us to sin and ultimately to death. Desire can be an alternate direction from God's word. But in this case, desire is for the good, and it definitely can be for the good. We see a lot of good desires in our, in our lives today, don't we? We recognize good desires. Some of you have a desire right now to take a nap in the midst of this, and so that might be a good desire. No, we understand good desires. The desire for a mate, God saw it, the need of that in the very beginning, Genesis 2. It's not good that man should be alone. You go further in the chapter when we find in verse 23 when, when Adam is confronted with Eve, who has been basically taken out of him in a sense, and he recognized she was taken out of man and cleaved to her, and we see that instruction, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cling to or hold on to his wife, and the two very specially together. There is a desire for a mate, and it's a good thing to have. There is a desire, as we say, to eat. Aren't you glad that you have a desire to eat and uh, to sleep, to work, uh, and generally to be alive? God invested in us a desire to live. But the desire to work, and especially to do this work, is an animal of its own. And that's why I think Peter 
felt the necessity of offering these instructions. He recognized that the elders needed a challenge, but he also recognized that we who work with them and around them and participate with those who are elders needed to recognize our place within this, that they are among us. They are among us. They are a part of us. And so the people among whom we live and breathe and have our lives are a part of our lives. And so Peter, though, offers this great challenge to us. He says to them, first of all, shepherd. That means to feed, to lead, to nurture, to give everything they need. You might think of it much like a parent with a child in some respects. Not that it is the same in in that role. But there is a lot of feeding, nurturing, and, and, and leading that goes on when we bring children in the world from the time they're very small to the time you die. You spend a lot of time with your children, shepherding them. And he says, shepherd the flock around you, those who you're among, those who share that life with you. Recognize them, recognize their needs, know them inside and out. There's a lot of good to be said for knowing the people and knowing them well. And that's where the shepherding comes in. Jesus talks about in John 10 that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Speaking of himself as the good shepherd. That is where a shepherd finds himself in knowing his people and knowing their needs and knowing their lives. Shepherd the flock around you. We're challenged. Also, there is the maintaining of oversight. You know, I think about this sometimes when I I hear people will say, you know, I just want to be a friend to my children. I never really sought to be friends with my children. I think we are, but I I sought to be a father to my children. They needed oversight. They needed instruction. They needed someone to say no from time to time, and they needed someone to challenge them to do things from time to time. So maintaining, overseeing knowledge means being aware of what's going on. What is this congregation going to need? How do we manage what's here? How do we see that it it is done and getting it done and so forth? Maintain oversight and overseeing knowledge. Know what's going on within a congregation. And I know sometimes congregations can become large and a, a little bit unwieldy. And in that case, sometimes a shepherd may not know what some other shepherd knows. But it's important that they share those things as much as possible together. Peter also says, do it by personal desire. Not by constraint. Not because you're forced to. Someone asked me in the foyer the other day, or more than one has asked me, asked me, is this what you want to do? That may not have been the exact words. Is this what you want to do? And you know, I really had to stop and think about that. Do I really want to take on a congregation to carry it further in my heart? Not that you need me to carry you. That's not my point. But do I want to carry the load of that with me? Do I really want to do that? It's a good question to ask. There should be a desire, not just because somebody wants you to do it or somebody thinks you fit into that, but do it by personal desire rather than by the force of the job. You take it on because that's what you want to be and to do. And then he says, be altruistic. I like the word, and I threw it out there. It's one of those 26-cent words that you can throw out there. Generally, it means you're not doing it for personal gain. You're just doing it because you can and to be good in that regard. Be altruistic. 
not seeking yourself something, not trying to gain position or acclaim or esteem or something like that, except to be an example and to help other people find the good that they can have. And then finally, I'd leave with you, live the job. In all the things that we see, whether we're talking about the qualities of life, as we said, as Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus, or what Peter has to say here, basically it's live the job, be an example, live the job and exemplify, and then you find that you don't have to demand nearly as much. Yes, sometimes a parent has to instruct a child and says, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. But when parents become arbitrary, children rebel more readily than they do at other times. And I know children sometimes rebel anyway, but generally speaking, you understand what I'm saying. I think when you live the job, you live what is instructed. And that's a big task that no one's going to fulfill completely in his life. I'm definitely not going to in mine. But living the job and exemplifying it as best you can will be recognized by those who are around you. And so let me offer you this thought and make it on a very personal level. I think all of those things apply to anyone who wants to fill the role of being an an elder, a shepherd, bishop, presbyter, whatever word you want to use in that regard. Let me say on a personal level, as I've already said, I've spent my entire life in and connected to the church. I was born to a preacher and his wife. We were always around the church. I thought the church building was our second home. The people were people that I knew. And it was shocking to me when I found out that people don't always live what they're supposed to live as I moved along. But I've spent my life in and connected to the church far more than I think most people do. I've also spent more than 45 years, more than four and a half decades as a minister within the church. I've seen a lot of elders. I've seen good ones, and I've seen a few that probably never should have been an elder in the church. But I've seen that, and I've come a long ways down the road. That's not a brag. That's not anything. Just say I've got a lot of travel behind me. What I do want to say is my pledge to you and my commitment to you and to the Lord is that I will continue to serve you and the Lord. I will be lacking in perfection, I will be dependent upon grace, and yet striving always to be what you and the Lord need me to be. I think any elders, and I know the ones that we've got here, hold that same idea in striving to be the best they can be for you and for the Lord. Now, what does this have to do with you? I end with this thought. We are As Jesus said, we are to be about the Father's business. In every way that we can, we are to be about the Father's business. So I I leave the thought, may we each use what we have within us to serve him, to serve this family, and to give it as much as we've got as long as the Lord allows us to be. Maybe that was a little too personal for you today. I don't know. But it was what was on my mind and my heart, and I share it with you. We've shared a lot of lessons, and we're going to share a lot more in the years to come, hopefully. We're going to have some good times, we're going to have some bad times. Let's make the best of whatever times we've got. 
Let's be the best people we can be. And I'll strive to be the help to you that I can be in every way. We're going to sing the song of encouragement and invitation this morning because we do have a great shepherd in Christ Jesus. He knows us. He knows our needs. He knows our opportunities. He knows what we have available. He knows what he can be. He knows what we can be. Perhaps you've never surrendered in faith to him and the opportunity is there for you to do that this morning and in that faith to come and repent and be baptized, confessing his glorious name, have sins washed away and begin anew in his life. Maybe there's another need you have this morning. We want to encourage that if anyone needs to come this morning, that this invitation, this opportunity is yours. And if you need to respond publicly this morning, please do so while we stand, while we sing together.